On this episode of the Physio Foundations podcast, I'm going to talk to physiotherapist Vasish Vasan about his experiences transitioning from being a student to working as a physiotherapist in a successful clinic alongside doctors and other professionals. And I'm going to ask him his tips for getting the most out of this phase of your career. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast, where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So on this week's episode, I'm talking to a former student of mine from Monash University Physiotherapy, Vasish Fasan. So Vasish is now a successful physio. He's building an impressive clinical career in Melbourne, Australia, where he lives. And um, Vasish is an athlete himself. He plays elite cricket and football, and he's also a physiotherapist for Blackburn Football Club, where I used to live in Blackburn, um, and he works out of Sports Med Biologic, which is a clinic in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, and you may recognize that name as Susanna's Clinic, so he works alongside my wife, Susanna, who you know from the podcast. So that's how I know Vasish. Um, I'm not going to do the full bio on him because he's sitting here with me right now, so I'll get him to tell us more about his background. Vasish Vasan, welcome to Physio Foundations. Thank you very much, Luke, and um Good day to everyone listening from Physio Foundations. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you here because you've um, obviously a former student and I've, I've known you since you were in first year uh, undergraduate studies, but now yep. you've gone places and you're doing some interesting stuff and I want to share that with the world. So I think we can all learn from your journey in this transition from really successful transition from student life to um, to working life. So can you tell us a bit more about yourself and your training and, and interests and who you are? Yeah, um, I yes, I was very fortunate to go through my undergraduate studies at Monash University with Luke himself. Um, and yeah, finished finished in the year of 2020 um, through COVID. So it was an interesting uh, last few years of university, but transitioned. I think university, I guess, led us in really good stead, stead for hospital work um, and I finished university thinking, geez, I quite enjoy the hospital stuff. I did a little bit of AHA work at the Alfred Hospital um, when COVID sort of erupted and I really, really enjoyed that part of the work. But I think deep down, as Luke alluded to, I, I loved my sports all growing up and um, I guess when I finished school and I thought, what do I want to do when I go up? It was very much I want to do something related to people. I want to do something related to um some body medicine, something like that, and um, something related to sport. And the, 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 the job that potentially tied them all together uh, was uh, physiotherapy. So um, I guess keeping that in mind, I thought, all right, I need to go down the um, the private practice route uh, to get myself as close to a, a sports physiotherapist as I possibly could. But um, I guess that's how my journey sort of went from university to thinking of potentially hospital. I, I applied for a few hospital jobs. I went, oh, had a few interviews and I thought, is this really for me? And I went, uh, probably not for now and um, went down a private practice route and that's when I started at, at Sportsman Biologic. So the AHA you mentioned is allied health assistant work and yep. then you enjoyed the hospital work. So your clinic is a medical clinic. It's a private, it's a really good private medical clinic and you work really closely with doctors and other professionals. Uh, I'm interested in there, you've, you didn't necessarily work in the hospital, but you had an interest and you could have done that. How would, how does that in, that interest in the medical side of things help you in this role in what you're doing at the moment in a medical clinic working as a physio? I think that the, we we talk about like interprofessional um, communication and involvement. I think that was probably the biggest thing. Having physiotherapy, as I'm sure all are aware, can sometimes be quite an isolating job. You're in a 
four by four room um, and you're with your client. Uh, but reality is it's just you and your client for most of the time. So I think um, working in an environment like a hospital where you've got doctors, nurses, other allied health staff, um, the whole heap, I find I found that quite engaging and stimulating that you always have someone um, to speak to, to communicate with. You've got ideas to bounce off. Um, I found that quite enjoyable. And I guess in that same vein, it's sports biologic. It, it's nice in that sense that, you know, there are people there, um, experts, um, absolute geniuses in their field to run ideas off and to, to chat with and to talk about pathology and things like that, where you're not just in an environment where it's you, your client and the door in your room. Yeah. So you've got orthopedic surgeons, doctors, a nurse, a podiatrist, other physios. So yep. what's it actually like there working with them? So you, you'd still do the one-on-one treatment. I know you've got a gym there. And Susanna often sees you there in the gym working with people. I want to ask you about that as well. So what's the what, the osmosis of you know, that transfer of information that you get informally and um, passively sometimes? What's that like? So sometimes you'll see people in the corridor. Sometimes you'll go and knock on a door and directly ask a question. Yeah, Tell us about I, that. What's it like? Yeah, I think the, the one really nice thing, um, you know, is the patients, I guess, get a really nice rounded care. So what that essentially yeah. means, they, you know, go from whether it's physio to doctor to podiatrist or doctor to physio to podiatrist, whatever the, the, the routine is. Um, but as a result, it's it's quite nice for us because, say, uh, doctors refer a patient to me. I can just, you know, I'll go knock on their door. So-and-so's in the room with me. What are you after? What What's this? What's that? Um, and I sometimes probably come across a little bit of a pest in the clinic going and knocking on everyone's doors and asking questions but that that's the really nice thing so you can you can you know, anytime i'll go to reception or just does someone's have a little break right now perfect um then you, you you knock the door you ask a few questions and obviously that leads to other conversations right so i ask about luke of luke's knee this that and then that might lead to something else about some recent clinical trial that finished about a knee that um that's great. And you sort of, it's a really nice for me being so yeah, early in my career, a lovely opportunity to keep learning, which is, I think that's probably the biggest part of uh, being the clinic, you know, selfishly is that you always get to learn. Um, and there's unlimited learning opportunity because of the, the caliber of practitioners you're learning with. You, you call it selfishly, but then if you weren't doing ongoing learning, that would be, that would affect everybody. You would, the quality of your care would drop. So so you enjoy it, so you call it selfishly, but it's actually really important to do that. So knocking on doors, being a pest, getting, yep. um, getting I'm sure that honestly, as someone who's got a lot more uh, experience, looking back on 20 years of experience, the people who ask questions and, and knock on doors and are interested are much less of a pest than the people who don't show an interest. I promise that. Um, so on that then, how do how do you feel people respond to having a, a new grad physio, um, yeah, who's think- that interested, engaged? Do do you feel that that's that you build rapport with other professionals by by doing that? Yeah, I, I think um, there is definitely that. You know, the, the more interested you you come across, um, the more experienced clinicians, colleagues, I guess. Now they they do definitely take you on board a lot more, and um, yeah, that is nice. But it, it it's sort of that it's a difficult one. I think I found that quite challenging at the start because you want to ask a lot of questions, but at the same time, you're working in a very esteemed clinic, which means you can't necessarily show too much um, vulnerability at the same time because you, you you do kind of need to know your stuff in the same light. So I think that was a little bit of a challenge of what questions should I ask and what questions should I actually just go back to the books and look up myself and really um, teach myself that way. 
Uh, as I've been there for three years now, I've gotten better at that knowing, okay, I, I know the basics. Now I can probably ask a few of those more complex questions and the other questions I probably can get away with not asking. Um, but that was definitely a challenge at the start for me that, all right, well, if I just ask this, what am I going to come across as really stupid if I come and you know, ask this question? And then that credibility or trust that I've got, is that just going to be diminished in one go? Um, so that was definitely something that I thought about a lot initially. Every time I would go and knock on that door, there'd be three minutes of me sitting in my room going, oh, how should I ask it? What's the best way to ask this? Like, am I going to come across stupid? Like, surely I should know this. Did I learn this at university? And there'd be that constant, you know, internal dialogue before I actually would get up the courage to be like, oh, I will go and ask this because at the end of the day, sort of not really, it's not really about me. Is it? It's about the patient in front of me. Yeah, so yeah. And if it's, if it's giving, giving them the best care, then I was like, well, I can suck up my, um, my pride or whatever it is to, to ask. So how many of all the many times you've asked, how many times do you think you've re regretted and been embarrassed by asking a uh, question, uh, maybe a percentage of them? I Very, very, very small, to be honest. There, you um, go. there it is. Probably, I just, yeah. <laughs> but I think I can only remember one incident that I actually went, oh, no, I probably shouldn't have asked that because as soon as you told me the answer, I thought, okay, I actually definitely knew that answer. Um, which you can get around by saying, okay, I should yeah. have known that, and you can laugh it off. Exactly. So a very small percentage of the time you've been actually embarrassed or it's actually yeah. you, you felt like it's undermined your, any sort of credibility. And the rest yeah. of the time it's just added to your rapport and the understanding that the people you're working with uh, um, know that you want to learn and yeah. you're, you're moving forwards. That has been That's come up again and again in these new grad series conversations I'm having that um, breaking through that barrier of being afraid to ask has mm. been rewarding. It's been worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, um, so coming into this role, it's fair to say that this is not, um, you, you know, your average new graduate role because of the nature of it. You're working alongside doctors, really well-known doctors and surgeons. Um, so how did you, firstly, how did you feel like you were positioned when you came out of university for a role like this? And then, and I guess the double barrel question would be then, so was, how did you then prepare and get yourself to the starting line so you can work in this, um, it's not high pressure, but, uh, uh, you know, a high quality, really well-known clinic in this, in this pole position, really, in a really good position that you're in? Yeah, um, I, I mean, fair to say I was not prepared at all. Um, university uh, teaches you a lot of things, um, but uh, I think, you know, probably the one um the one limitation in our probably university model is probably towards prior practice and how it sort of um, tra you know, transitions to prior practice. Maybe that was a, a byproduct of doing our last few years in, within COVID as well. Um, but there was definitely a sense of, okay, geez, I'm really out of my depth here. Um, the job itself came across really, it wasn't something I applied for or anything like that. I happened to just send an email to a a clinician about a bit of sports trainer work or something like that. And then that led to a conversation that led to a few more conversations. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm working there in a, in a small scale. And then across the last 24, 36 months, that's just grown and grown. So um, it was very much, it just fell on my lap. Um, and I thought, well, how good's this? I have to take, take, um, take use of this. But to answer your question, I guess there was nothing really that uh, I felt could prepare me beforehand, except for just jumping in and going, well, I'm going to have to, it's a sink or swim sort of uh, mentality. And I was like, well, I have to swim. I'm going to find a way. Um, and whether that was being a pest, whether that was just doing a lot of reading and um, asking questions, uh, I think a lot of reflecting on 
the patients I saw and what I did with them um, because coming out of university, the hardest thing is it's that 30 minutes or 45 minutes, whatever it is. It's a, it's a pressure environment. You're there with the patient who expects, who's paying a lot of money, expects a lot of results. You're in a steam clinic, so they, they, they're expecting a lot from you. Um, and at times you give them what they need and times you're not going to meet your, meet all the expectations. So it was a lot for me initially. I'd go home and reflect a lot and be like, okay, I did X, Y, Z. Where did I go wrong? What could I have done better? Um, and that I think helped me quite quickly in terms of getting a bit more confidence to be like, oh, I have, I've been through this before. I've gone to that stage where I was trying to explain pathology and I butchered the explanation. So how am I going to go about that differently next time? And I think that initially doing a lot of that helped me prepare myself um, better. Yeah, that that process of re- reflection is just essential, isn't it? Lots mm. of reading, lots of asking questions, but that's a really good honest answer. Because like you said, you're in an esteemed clinic, you're doing really well, but like everybody else, you went in there feeling a bit unprepared and but you did it anyway. You ju- yeah. you jumped in there and and made a start. And I guess w- this episode is really aimed at students and and grads who are maybe a couple of years out. But hopefully anyone else listening to this will find it interesting as well. What sort of tips could you give students or new grads who are in the same position as you who are yeah, want to get I, that I, dream clinic role or, or they well, want to think, do something what you're doing? I think it's, it's it's definitely a reach for the stars. I think you shouldn't – you're always going to be underprepared or always going to feel underprepared. So I, I think when you're applying for jobs or having conversations, you should never limit yourself to going, I'm just a new grad or I'm just first year or second year or third year out. Um, I think it's – you reach for the stars and look, if, if it's up to the person interviewing you or deciding to make that call. And if they don't want to, um, if they think it's a bit of a risk, that's that's on them and it's not on you. So I think at the end of the day, it's about really you doing it all what you can do um, to put yourself out there and know that it, it's going to be a bit of a sink or swim mentality. However, if you put yourself in a good enough position, you'll find a way and you're just going to trust the fact that you find a way. See, Susanna tells me you've got clients there in the gym. She often yeah. sees you there with clients in the gym and you've got a sporting background. So you've played football, you played um, elites, premier cricket. Yeah. Um, and you've, you've got an interest in sports. Um, how did you get from undergraduate training to that level where you're taking clients into the gym and you're not only doing your, your rehabilitation, but you're doing your, I guess you're not only doing your, um, your assessment and your um, stuff that you could do in a consulting room, but you're also doing rehabilitation in the gym. What did you, what training, additional training did you do or what of your own skills did you use? And Yeah, I think um, a lot of, uh, I did a bit of sports training work as a, when I was in university um, and it was a great role. I was in a soccer club, um, but I was the only one there and there was no physio, there was no one else. It was literally just me. And um, the, the team would often come to me as I was, a grad physio, a graduate physio, which I definitely was, and I had no idea what I was doing half the time. But um, I think what it taught me was a bit of creativity with rehab and things like that. Okay, well, he's going to move from X to Y. Um, how many different ways can we get him to move in that direction, trying different things? And I think those skills over the three or four years as a sports trainer where I was just like, it's me in a paddock and I have to make up whatever I've got to make up um, with no real background in knowledge. I think that quite helped me, the creativity of those skills to then come into a rehab setting and be like, well, now I know actually what their objective is. Um, what are different ways I can get them there? Um, I think that was quite helpful for me personally, but the gym, 
the lot of the sports med, a lot of the clientele we do see are athletes. Um, and initially, when I got the job, my role was purely around um, a rugby club that I, I was looking after. So, um, a lot of that, you know, if, if you're being really, uh, I guess, true to the the clinical research and um, the guidelines out there, if you're getting a patient back from a hamstring, you've got to put them through the tough work, um, and that happens in the gym. Um, so, I found that it was it was a combination of knowing okay, I had to do that and finding different ways. And then um, from a learning perspective, I think what was actually really helpful is heaps of uh, social media videos out there with rehab things. So you can, as long as for me, is like I know what I need to achieve in this rehab session, um, there is a plethora of stuff out there, right, from uh, Instagram and this and that and all the physios all around the world that um, and SNCs that put their stuff out there. So it's sort of just pick and choosing different parts of that and going, okay, perfect, I know what I need to get done okay, yeah, that looks right. That looks right. I'm working a bit of eccentric strength here. I'm working a bit of high-speed running here. And you're sort of putting those things together until all of a sudden you've got your own little model yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And it's it's fair to say that some people are afraid of the gym. If, if you haven't been there and it's it can be an intimidating place to, to train in yourself and it's something that other physios have told me and students have told me, especially if you don't have that personal experience from your from a sports background or a rehab or training environment. Chris Seville has been on the podcast a few episodes ago who, um, who is a power lifter and a strength trainer and, and has that background. But it's really interesting to talk to you about that because that was essential for the role. It wasn't even if you didn't like the gym yourself, yeah. you're rehabbing someone's hamstring, someone's ACL, the guidelines, the evidence say this person needs a baseline level of strength before they progress through their rehab. Yep. They need to be in there. So you need to develop those skills. And it's interesting just how much stuff is available now just to get you started. Everything, like you said, from Instagram, which is yep. fairly unfiltered. It could be anything through to you know um, courses that are available as well. Yeah. Yeah. So there's plenty of options there. Yeah. So what so let's talk about what you think the most foundational knowledge and skills are for a physio. This is from your perspective. You've been out for what, three years now. Yep. It's your third year working as a physio independently, reflecting on your education, but also everything you're now using in the clinic, and you can go anywhere with this. Yeah, I think it, it's maybe a bit of a cliche answer, but I think communication by far is the most important foundation skill. You you can know everything in the world, you can know every complexity of pathology, um, but if you can't explain that um, to the person in front of you, well, it's as good as nothing, in my opinion at least. So I think that was the real, uh, not challenge, but part of the, the the learning, the steep learning curve for me initially was to go, okay, well, I know all these things upstairs. I, I know what a grade two hamstring, I know what this is, I know what that is, but the person in front of you doesn't. Um, and to be able to sit down and, and really break it down and explain to them in a way they do understand, I think that was that is the most challenging thing and that feeds into all the other aspects because you can't, if they don't buy in, they don't understand. Well, you probably can't do a good job because you're not really going to be able to take them through all the stages of rehab or anything like that. And then, you know, even going from a commercial sense, um, if they don't understand why they're coming in, well, then you're, you know, rebooking and all, all the other business aspect of the physio, that's probably not going to go so well either. Um so I thought that's probably the the main fundamental. I think university, everyone jokes about fake it till you make it, um, and and it's it's a very fair line. It's it's um, probably not the most appropriate line, but it's a very fair line um, in the fake it till you make it. But a big part of that is communicating to go. Okay, there are things I don't know, and I think I've learned probably more recently than when I first started that 
patients actually don't mind when you go, okay, I, I'm thinking this and this. We're going to do this to figure if it's this or we're going to do this to figure it's this. Um, but this is what my thoughts are. I'm going to be nice and open and transparent with you. And they walk away and go, actually, well, he actually knows something because he he's telling me this, he's telling me that. They both seem about right. I'm on, I'm on the same page as him rather than maybe two years ago when I started. If I had said that, I'd be like, this guy knows, thinks I'm clueless. Um, so I think part of that, you know, communicating what you're thinking, um, most often patients appreciate that, that honesty and transparency. Um, so I th- yeah, I think communication is probably by far the most important in our, in our role. There's a, a level of confidence that you need just to function. And so th- when you're talking about fake it till you make it, that's in contrast to what you just said about being very honest and involving the client in your decision-making and saying that, could be this, could be that. There's some gray area. This is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Let's see how this goes. And, and people appreciate that. Um, so fake it till you make it. I mean, where, where, where do we draw the line between where do we draw the line? sort of yeah. at least starting with some, I'm going to start with some sort of foundation of some confidence and I'm going to turn up and be here versus yeah. when, when you say, I'm not sure. Well, I think um, with, with a lot of, you know, let's say acute presentations that come in physio, there are always something you can do to make them better. Um, and even if you, I feel, have zero clue what you're doing, I think that if you're on your conference, you reassure them, you give them encouragement, and you point out a few comments to say, oh, mate comes in, I have difficulty walking down the stairs at work, we've got an elevator there. Well, even just telling them, okay, well, for the next four days, we're going to use the elevator. Um, might seem common sense to us, but often is missed in general. You may not need a physiotherapy degree to come up with that idea. No. But it was the what you're saying is the the power of stopping and zooming out a bit, detaching and saying, "Hang on, what do we really need to do here? We need to yeah, settle this knee down." Exactly. Let's so you might do it properly. Yeah, you might have mm. a clue what the actual knee diagnosis is, um, or what you're going to really do about it. But then at least you can point out a few things that are going to help the person. So they walk out of there going, "Okay, actually, I got a bit of value out of that session today," um, and that's mm. probably the. The fake it part, um, until which is the, the antidote for overthinking, which can be yeah. a killer, because we've got complex things to think about, and you can definitely overthink things. And if this, you might do all this complex stuff, and the person's still taking the four flights of stairs every day. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. So we haven't thought of that. Point. Um, but then the, I guess the next stage, I think where you say draw the line is as soon as you finish that fake until you make it, and you're like, okay, I've given them something, they're happy, whatever. I think that's when you really have to. If you're being honest with yourself, you probably have to really go and do the research and think about what you could do better, all that sort of stuff. So that next time someone else comes in like that or next time they come in themselves, you're far better prepared for it. So I think that's where that line gets drawn. Of maybe, you know, the first instance where you meet someone, something's thrown at you that you're not quite so sure, so sure with. But as soon as you get another opportunity at it, um, I don't think, yeah, I think you have to give it a better crack. So it's that balance of getting started yep. without waiting to know everything because then you'll never get started exactly. and but also having that process having that willingness to reflect and read and be humble enough to say i don't know and ask questions mm. yeah. yeah it's a real balance that's going on there yeah and I, I was probably really lucky in the role that because the the doctors are there that anytime i do get a little bit out of my depth i can refer on which is a really nice thing and i think i mm. was a little yeah. bit um Initially, I was a bit scared to refer on because I was like, oh, does that mean I don't know? Um, but then a lot of the times uh, now I refer on quite quickly to podiatrists, exercise physiologists, other even other physios in the clinic because I go, well, if, if it's their area of scope, 
Um, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the person in front of you is the most important thing. So you're trying to get them. And if you tell them, you know, I'm trying to get you the best possible care and I think I'm not the best person for it, or I think, you know, the sports doctor or the physio down the route, down the hallway is, they're always going to appreciate that. So I think that's why um, I've sort of gone now, okay, I'm happy to refer on or admit because at the end of the day, if you communicate that well, they'll still love you. <laughs> yeah. So, and so it sounds like explanation as that, part of communication, being able to explain things, why you're doing them, what you're doing and what you're thinking is a really key part of your foundational skill at the moment that you're using or skills. So what about being a patient yourself? So you've and happened to know that you've had a knee injury, you've been telling me about, which yeah. happened, was that the day before your first placement in third year? You yeah. Did your ACL? Yeah. So there's, there's going to be a lot of learning that you got from that experience that you yeah. directly use every day in the clinic from a patient's perspective. Yeah. Makes you more empathetic and, and, and knowledge directly that you'll take into the clinic. So do you want to take us through that? What happened? Yeah. And- well, I mean, I was playing football, um, little marking contest, probably the first contested mark I took all year. Um, and I yeah, got pushed in the air, landed hyperextension, ACL, medial meniscus, MCL, um, the, whatever the unhappy tried as they call it. Um, and I, had my first placement the next day. So I remember thinking, oh, no, this is not good. And I had 15 weeks straight of placement coming up. So um, I had to jiggle thing, a few things around uh, and I avoided, well, I didn't, at the time, my surgeon was like, you're going to have six weeks in a hinge knee brace. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound too fun. And also that means that's probably going to impede the way I finish my placement. So I thought, all right, I will do five weeks of rehab. I'll get my knee somewhat functional and I'll finish my placement. I'll come back later in the year and, um, and do the surgery. But in that time, I was really lucky to, to see Jane Rooney, who's a really, really esteemed um, knee physio, but a, a knee specialist in, in that. Um, and from not only learning of what she taught me as we were going through the ACL program, um, I really did get an insight of what it is like to be a, a, a knee patient um, and I was a ter- I mean at times I was a really good knee patient at times I was a terrible knee patient and I think the biggest thing it really gave shed light on the fact that rehab sucks um, and no one really enjoys rehab like sometimes when you dangle that goal in front of you and you're like okay, I need to do xyz to get there people might be a bit more motivated but for a lot of the time it is draining it's um it's not what you want to be doing you want to be playing sport you want to be doing the things that you want to be doing um, so I thought that was a real uh, eye-opener for me to go, it's actually not as fun as it, you know, us physios get really excited about how good is this, you're doing, you know, the hamstring curl today, you're doing this tomorrow. But reality is it's not that fun. Um, and a lot of the times the patients, you know, they're not enjoying that journey. So I think that grounded me a little bit when I do talk to my ACL patients now and I say, hey, look, you're going to have some shocking weeks. You're going to have some weeks that you just hate the gym. You hate even thinking about your knee. You're going to have weeks that you're a bit more motivated and going through that roller coaster of rehab from a mental perspective. I thought that really was the, probably the biggest learning curve in that whole, except from the the bits of the wisdoms that I got from Jane herself. Um, the That was probably the biggest learning for me to go. It is a paradigm where there is, it's not, it's not constant. It's definitely not linear. Um, we are going to have some really bad periods. So understanding that and, um, I guess now in practice, telling patients at the start, like, just please communicate with me. You know, a lot of my ACLs, I'll give them a week off every periodically to sort of go, just sit back, relax, watch TV, you know, do something else other than rehab because losing two sessions at week 20 is not going to be as bad as you burning out by week 
28 and, and quitting completely. Yeah. yeah. So um, things like that that I've sort of learned. And I have them like, be honest with me. If I'm, my program's too long for you or if I'm getting you to do too much, just let me know. Say I'm not enjoying it. Tell me that rather than just not doing it because I'm more than happy to to meet you halfway rather than you meet because I can give you gold standard every time. But the reality is no one really wants to do gold standard. Um, and gold standard is like elite athlete that are paying, get, getting paid to do that. So a yeah, lot that's of the time, important. Yeah, that's important to remember. I've interrupted so, you. No, 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 no. I think, oh, yeah, that was good. That was the end of my point anyway. But yeah, that was probably the biggest learning. And then obviously the 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 knee specific stuff that came of it. But I was actually quite lucky. Avoided surgery in the end. Had a really nice outcome conservatively. ACL rehealed and an MRI, which was which was nice. Eighteen months post. So um, knee stuff's going well for now. Touch wood. <laughs> uh, but you're, you're it, one of those lucky people who had a spontaneous healing. And sort of before. Amazing. Before I guess the the newer research has come out, which is um, but you, it's not it's funny because you didn't plan you didn't go ahead and I'm going to try to spontaneously heal you just as the name suggests spontaneously heal spontaneously heal um, something whatever I'm eating whatever Mum's cooking um, yeah. <laughs> but, and also you probably weren't um, I imagine you were early on hammering the extension you probably had a little bit of flexion deficit there and so it's, I'm, I'm sort of thinking because Jane's such a good physiotherapist I saw Jane present a couple of weeks ago with Dr. Tom Cross yeah. and Stephanie Philbay and Adam Colvener and, um, and Brooke Patterson. So all these people have been lucky enough to work with over the years. And they were talking about the CROSS protocol, which is not – it's a, a really important point to make here. This is pre-clinical trial, so it is just proof of concept. Well, not even proof of concept. It is just case study, case series of people. It's just interesting. So definitely physios, other professionals do not go and do this work with your sports physician and find out more about it. But yeah. the patients in that in that um, series of case studies were braced at 90 degrees and, and the idea being that that would approximate the stumps of the ACL yeah. and um, bring it close together and facilitate some healing. And, and Dr. Tom Cross presented a whole series of MRIs of patients before and after showing the healing of the ACL. And it was fascinating, paradigm-shifting stuff. Yeah. And um, w what's really important, public service announcement, um, don't just go and stick people in a brace at 90 degrees <laughs> because they all need to be on anticoagulant therapy because there's a risk of obviously clotting and if you you know, have your knee flexed for that long, so for many weeks on end. But it's, just, it's something to, to really watch this space. And mm -hmm. then so Tom presented um, a series of, um, of stories and MRIs of people like you who had spontaneous healing. And it's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like a lot of patients do come in um, my ACLs and they sort of go, "What's your? what was your journey? And I tell them, please do not listen to my journey because I cut a few corners and I wasn't, I, like I said, I was a good patient at times and I was a very um, ignorant patient at other times. And I thought, oh, I'm a physio, shouldn't I know what I'm doing? And I, I definitely cut a few corners that I probably regret. But um, it was very much, you know, as, as you alluded to, it, we, with that concern, I think there is still a little bit of, room to go in terms of um which patients are the best candidates which are things like that so um, it's also it's non-surgical it's we yeah. shouldn't call it conservative yeah. should we non-surgical yeah. management because there's um it's pretty aggressive the rehab that you need to do yeah yeah so Absolutely. you and jane did a lot of rehab yeah um, a lot of which rehab. at the time was prehab you were thinking i'm going for surgery correct that and just then you went and played a game of footy for i played cricket yeah well oh, you played, played a game of cricket and it went well 
went well, scored a few runs and I was pretty chuffed and I thought, well, this is actually moving all right. And I was, I remember thinking like to, to, I guess, to shed a bit of light as to how underprepared I was going into that game of cricket, I hadn't really done any running between the wickets. I'd done a little bit of agility okay. work, but that's about it. And then I, um, uh, I was out there quick single off my hip and I ran and I did a quick two and I was like, this is the first time I'm turning at, at real pace with pads on. And I thought, oh no, my knees, this is, what am I doing here? But it, it worked well. And I, um, I guess I've had a pretty lucky outcome in the end. Uh, but like I said, I, I'd, I'd probably change a few things I did. Um, do as I say, not as I do. Exactly right. Exactly right. As most physios. So you're you out there running between the wickets and you yep. realize, oh, it's the first time I've changed direction. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Okay. It's the first time I've changed direction at pace on with studs on. And there was a few things, you know, even like a pull shot when you're pivoting on your back leg. And I was like, oh, I probably haven't played many of these, you know, leading up to this game. I was on the back of sort of two training sessions. Um and yeah, I'd, look, I'd, I'd change a few things. However, um, the good thing though was there was always a, in my head, there was a bit of a, oh, I'm going to get surgery anyway. I'm going to get surgery anyway, um, which is probably a bit of a naive thing, thing to think, but um, worked out all right. And it gave me a good learning of what to do and what not to do. And um, also understanding at what point of the journey that people potentially start to cut a few corners and go, I'm, I'm a bit over going to the gym. I want to sort of get running. I want to, you know, all of a sudden a footy's in front of them or a, you know, any sports in front of them, they're like, oh, you know, I could probably just shoot a few hoops or, you know, I could kick if you kick the ball and all of a sudden you're in match sim and things can escalate quite quickly when you're in that sporting environment. So I thought it was a good learning insight into when do you really have to tell the person, hang on, you are actually risking a lot here by letting these um, enthusiasms go ahead a bit too much. And they may not realise no. because with all your training and, and your insight and seeing a really good physio, it just happened. You suddenly yeah. found yourself running between the wickets, and exactly. But there I didn't even ticked it off with Jane. To be fair, I think it all just it just all just happened, and there you go. Um, and I think I don't think she was too chuffed, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. These things happen, but yeah. th this is really important. This is your this is your real insight here that from being a patient. No, so you don't have to injure ACL to be a really good physio. There's no doubt that you can you can always contribute something but your unique insight here is as you said rehab sucks yeah. there's a big psychological component to a long-term rehab yeah. and these are human beings these are people who are going to be have bad weeks and good weeks and and just leveling up with someone and saying hey you know when you need a week off you do that and yeah. we need to get you through 12 plus months of this so having a couple of sessions off isn't going to be as bad as, as stopping. Absolutely. It's a I, really important insight. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what you're saying before about getting people in the gym and which I really, really do enjoy, and especially the ones that haven't been to the gym before, or um, what I find is there as a physio, you get great satisfaction from treating an injury and having a successful outcome. My knee pain's gone. That's great. But I think what I get even more satisfaction from is the, um, the, the real lifestyle changes you can make someone that's never stepped foot in the gym and therefore has been reluctant to do xyz exercise that all of a sudden because of the rehab they've done with you are going, they come back for another injury or they just send me an email going hey just to let you know i've done three months in the gym and i'm going every morning i love like i go to this class and I have a few girlfriends that i do this with or whatever it may be that's i think the really enjoyable aspect of the job when you can make some really nice lifestyle changes that will protect them from other injuries going forward as well. So um, that's definitely the gym aspect of it. It's to one, obviously get them through their initial hump, but 
can you get, make something? Can you give them something they'll actually enjoy that will make it stick going forward? Hold. Where do you see the physio profession going from your unique view, mm. from what you do and what you're doing? Where do you see us going over the next decade in terms of the profession? Um, that is a really good question, Luke. I think I think I've there thrown are, that one in there just yeah, I, without I any planning. I think there are definitely challenges ahead. Um, I think, uh, and I'm sure a lot of new grads listening to this would um, understand where I'm coming from, where the the business aspect of private practice physio is a really difficult thing to grasp. Um, and you know, when I was in fourth year university, they just brought in um, a business uh, unit um, that that helped to an extent, or just, I guess, encourage a few of the new ideas. But the reality is um, it's not a business degree, it's a physiotherapy degree, which yeah. means that you're you're really, really underprepared for that part of it. Um, and I think that's uh, speaking to a lot of my friends that I graduated with even to this day, that's probably the one thing that we all grapple with the most of that business side of physiotherapy and private practice physiotherapy. And um, I think as, as maybe society is changing a little bit post-COVID as well, um, there is definitely certain challenges with, how people want to spend their money, um, you know, cost sensitivity. Obviously, you know, I don't need to go into how cost of living is going up and all that. But um, I think that's a really challenging aspect of it that will influence how physio looks in ten years' time. Now, I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but um, I think that's definitely something that's uh, a model kind of yeah. Depending on which way that goes um, and how people, how new grads and how younger physios uh, warm up to the business side of things, I think that's how that'll sort of determine how well the profession moves forward in the next 10 years. I don't know if that's and this is talking from a private practice and correct. probably yeah. more so from an Australian private practice context because there's different models around the world, but that's an answer I haven't had before. Mm. Thinking um, about the business and the financial and cost of living side of things, that's really important because there's certainly a lot of people out there who would love to see you as a physio and probably need to see you but can't afford to as well. Yeah. And that's not saying anything about fees. We're all charging, let's say we're all charging the same amount in the private context. It's just the, the cost of living pressures are real out yeah. there. And so, yeah. you know, making a making a model of care that's affordable for, for people is a, a separate topic, but yeah. that's an and interesting the, answer to that. Yeah, there's, there's pressures both ways, right? So you're obviously, you know, we've got um, – business owners at the end of the day is the business so business owners have to think about their side of things and then as practitioners you got to think about your side of things and then as as patients they've got to think about their side of things so you've got three three different um i guess con interests or you know uh, areas of what's important to them priority levels um and you're the ones probably stuck in the middle thinking i've got to bring this all together and somehow make this work yeah. so I think that is definitely a really challenging aspect that even to this day, I, I you know, there are days where I do it well and there are days that I don't do it as well. Um, but I think that's probably the one that, you know, for probably physio students listening, um, if you are embarking, potentially thinking about embarking in the prior practice journey, I definitely, I, I was, I went to different physios uh, in my fourth year. I spent time uh, shadowing. I spent a little bit of time in Queen Victoria um, with a, uh, Paul Byzantini at Physio Sports Brighton. I spent a few time with, um, obviously with Jane through my ACL journey. Um, I did that and I guess that gave me a little bit uh, of a pre-context of what prior practice physio looks like because the reality is you just, until you land in it, you're not, you're not going to be really prepared for. Even on private practice placements. 
No, yeah, and I think, oh, yeah. As a student. Actually, that's probably, I should as, say, yeah. I was, uh, because of COVID, my prior practice patient got cancelled. So that was probably a limiting thing for me. But um, Limiting, I, but then if you think about that, look where you've gone. Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't limit you. It, it, it makes it harder, though. You, so you had to do a lot of stuff to, to make up for that. Given yeah, but, where you wanted to go, spending time few, shadowing, learning from people. Exactly, and it was a few emails. Right? Mm. It's nothing. It's nothing fancy. I think for anyone out there, you, you literally you go onto a person's website, you like what they do, you get their email address, you send them a nice email, you say, "Hey, I'm a fourth year student. Um, I really, you know, enjoy looking at what you're doing. Um, I'd love to if you have a, a spare hour or two, or if you have, you know, could I come and shadow?" And I'd say ninety nine percent of the time. Unless there is something, I think one time one physio was like, I'm on leave or I'm going on a tour here. Every other time they were like, absolutely, we'd love to have you down. Like come spend, you know, spend a day at the clinic, um, see what it's after. And they were, so they were all really good with that. So that's the one thing I'd absolutely encourage if, if you ever feel like, hey, I'm actually not really sure, just go and see. See for yourself and you'll find the information out pretty quickly. The quality of your email will make a difference there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the, the, your approach, the way you're going about that, you're not just doing it for yourself. You, you're talking of what you could offer as well. And and then if you're a business owner, you're getting that email. It's really this this guy sounds or girl sounds really clever and switched on. I wonder if they'd be a good person to employ as well. And yeah, and yeah, you're not <laughs> taking up any of their time. You're coming in and perhaps adding some value and you know. Yeah, and some I of think, your knowledge to the clinic. There's lots of reasons that could be a useful thing to have. Exactly. Right. I think in mean, one of my emails that I sent, I was talking about how the rehab site, elite sport, and I was like, oh, unfortunately, you know, as any university degree, I was like, we've, we've got there's limitation with how much exposure to elite sport we've had. I'd love to spend, you know, this is when I went to Creek Victoria, and and I sort of you know pointed out the holes that I wanted to fill by spending a day or two there. Um, so not just going, hey, I want to leech off you for a week. It was more. These are the holes that I've got. I'd you know, love for you to give me the opportunity to to fill those holes, essentially. Um, and yeah, Nick Adcock, uh, who's head physio there, he was he was lovely, and he was like, yeah, "Come on in." So I had a great time. That's really valuable. There's a positive attitude underlying all of that as well, but there's also some strategy. You're, you're not just talking about, you know, I'm good. I'd just like to generally be there and and shadow you. You're talking about why why that yeah. is and. Yeah. Here's where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. So where are you? Where are you going? You don't have to know, but no, no, no I do. I mean, where are you going to- over the next sort of five to ten years? What what sort of courses do you think you'd like to do? And where do you think you'd? Where do you I see yourself? Off, I want to tick off the whole sort of you know I've done level one and two sports. I need to sort of go through that and hope. So the, so for overseas listeners, these are our um, Australian Physio Association um, accredited courses for for sports for physios. Yeah. Yep. Um, that hopefully are, you know, are prerequisites for potentially doing a, a master's um, at some point in time. Um, yeah, good. But, yeah, I think, you know, I'd love to, the dream still for me is to, to end up in elite sport, whichever caper that may be. Um, I still would really love to be there. And the reason why I really, I guess I, I've got the sporting background, so I love sport in general, but um, I really enjoy the pressures of working in sport, having that sort of timeline. Like you've got to get back in two weeks. It challenges me. Um, sometimes, you know, a lot of physios will, will complain or, will, you know, myself you know, about monotony in the job. Um, but sport's a really nice way to break that monotony for me because I get that aspect of player coming to me, coach calling me up, great, you know, I need him by round three, I need him by round six. Oh, he's a bit slow with his rehab. 
and I love those conversations. Having those conversations with player and coach, I absolutely love them. Um, I've been there from the player sense of, you know, physios pulling me back or physios going, yeah, you're ready to play. Coaches going, we need you early. So I sort of get it from all sides of the coin. Um, and I, I really enjoy that pressure when someone comes in and their first appointment, they're like, okay, I've got this, 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 but mate, round one's in the, you know, 15th of April, like any chance we can, we can get there. I love that conversation. And often the time it might be no, or might be, we'll see how we go. But um, just having that, because you know, that person's already keen. He's in, he's, he's motivated to do what he's got to do or she um, to get there. So I think that's a, it's a great starting point. And then you can really feed off that uh, to get the, to get the ball rolling. You love the pressure. See that that's important. And that's Jody said that that's come up a couple of times on different episodes talking about that sports you know, and the, in, the intensity of a sports physio role. Mm. You, you have to. It's different things suit different personalities, don't they? Different different roles as well. Hospital, private, different types yeah. of roles in physio. They definitely suit different people. You have to love the pressure. So, and there's definitely mm. times I don't love the pressure. <laughs> I must admit there are, you know, obviously conversations that sometimes, because you are, then they sometimes they are over the depths um, when you're, when a player, you know, coach is grilling you at three quarter time about a player that's just gone down and you're like, well, I've got actually no idea. Like he's just gone down and you're trying to really, you know, think on the spot. Like you're going to give him something games on the line, but you're like, well, if I send him back on and he becomes in you know, a three week injury becomes a 12 week injury, that's on you. So there are times the pressure is not as friendly as others, but that's all part of the, that's all part of the experience. And um, I think at the end of the day, as long as what you do, what you do and you have some rationale behind it, at least when you go home, I think one of my first boss told me, he was like, if you have to think about a patient or a scenario, when you finish the day at at night, you haven't done a good job. And I think that stuck with me to sort of go, okay, as long as I tick all the boxes, at least not not the reflection though. Not the reflection, just from a sense of, oh, could I have done, um, should I have done something different or should I have escalated the care or that sort of thing. Um, I think, yeah, if you've got to think of that and you're worrying about a patient at, at the end of the day, that's a bit of an issue. You know, if you're reflecting, that's great, but um, the worry side of things. Mm, there, there, there is a balance, isn't there? There is a, um, you can go from reflection to worry pretty quickly. Mm. So there's a distinction there anyway. Mm. Well, anything else you want to add? We've covered a bunch of ground there. It's really good, really useful. I would have thought if I was a new grad or a student listening to this and I'm thinking about positioning myself in a really good clinic, doing some of the things that you've been doing um, and feeling the insecurities that we all feel, I would have felt that this conversation would be really helpful for me when I was a new grad and all I can do is just do the things that I think are going to be valuable and uh, and publish the conversations I enjoy having. So I really appreciate that. Anything Um, else that you did? No, I mean, I think, uh, I guess for me, just like a a takeaway point just for any listeners out there, whether it be younger physios than me or um, students, is really just embrace, it's, it's easy to say and it's really hard to do, but embrace the vulnerability of not knowing um, because there is always going to be someone that knows more than you and but that's okay. And I think that's sort of understanding that try to find your strengths and have a few, you know, reflecting on what are you good at because at least then you can, you can go, okay, that's, that's my strength. Um, and, and you can hold true to that, but sort of embracing the vulnerability of, okay, well, you really, uh, university Monash, I had a great time Monash and I, I really, really enjoyed the curriculum and the course and I made some you know, lifelong friends from it. But every undergrad 
in every industry, there are limitations to how well they can prepare you um, because in the day, first day of work is first day of work. And um, I think you're going to be in the deep end, which which might sound uh, a bit you know over the top, but you are going to be in the deep end and um, just trust that you'll find, you'll find a way at the end of the day. And it's not going to, you, know, you have one bad day, so be it. Brilliant. That's, I mean, I find that inspirational and helpful. At my stage of the career, I'm sure other people Luke, will as you're well. You're an expert, so. Luke. You don't, need, you don't need this advice. I think there's real value in having these conversations and just stopping every now and again and having a good conversation like this, especially just thinking about that concept of in, embracing the uncertainty. And there, there could be almost a sense of relief that people would get when they hear other people saying, hey, I feel uncertain about things as well and here's my approach for, for managing that and moving forwards. Mm. So I hope this is helpful for other people. I always enjoy the conversations. I'm going to keep doing them. So if, if you're listening and you're enjoying it, then I really value you as the listener and really value you, Vasish, for coming on and having a chat. Love to do it again absolute at some stage. Pleasure. Yeah, absolute pleasure. And thank you for all our listeners out there. Um, you know, I myself have heard a few of these Physio Foundations and I've taken that the, the Jody's episode, one of my other actually um, lecturers that taught me at Monash and listening to hers. I think it was maybe a week or two ago. Um, again, really vulnerable, like really helpful for me about those vulnerabilities she had uh, with elite sport and things like that. And there's great takeaways from all the listen, um, all the people that speak on this podcast. For those listening out there, so yeah, please get around Luke and what he's doing because um, it's been a great chat. Oh, good on you. Appreciate that. Where can people find more about? Where can people go to find out more about you and your work? I, I did a bit of a Google of you before. I found your Instagram, <laughs> which was private, but you've got yeah. your Sports Med Biologic webpage. So yeah. your profile there. Anywhere else we can yeah, read I'm, more I'm about LinkedIn, you? LinkedIn's always a nice spot. I probably need to do a bit more work um, beefing that up. But um, LinkedIn, LinkedIn's a good spot. Uh, and, yeah, for, for anyone listening that wants to reach out, please send me, send me a message um, and I'll definitely get back to you because I, I – Quite enjoy. I quite enjoy having these conversations, and even you know, at Blackburn Footy Club, having students around, I love it. It makes me think more about what I'm doing. Um, and even if I'm still, you know, quite inexperienced in the grand scheme of things, um, you can still. There's always something to chat, and I can still learn from so many. So, uh, please reach out if you've got any questions. Fantastic. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us both in this conversation, and share the episode if you enjoyed it, and make sure you. Um, tag us in at Periton Physio or at Luke Periton. You can find me mostly on Twitter. Um, and I think at Periton Physio is across most of the social media channels. So go and find us there. So looking forward to the next chat we can have with Vasish. So thanks very much. Thank you very much, Luke. So until next time, this is Vasish and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning.